You know, Father, I praise you that when we're all dressed up, we're going to have a lot of places to go. Unlike that unbelief found out that he had a place to go, but it wasn't so good. But it's your kingdom, Father, that we're going to. And it's your kingdom that we work in now. Father, I absolutely love, absolutely love the way you show us stuff when we seek your face. That you take a layer off your word and a layer off of how we see and reveal what's hidden underneath that revelation of who you are. And I ask that for today's service, Father, that you would peel back a layer that's over our eyes and over our hearts, and you would reveal to us your kingdom today and reveal to us who you are. I ask for that anointing to be on every hearer today, Father, whoever listens to this message, whether it's here or it's online, however they come across it, and that you would reveal yourself to them, Father. They would hear your word. They would hear what you say, not necessarily what I say, but what you say, Lord. Speak to their heart. And I ask for an anointing today, Lord, that I would just be an open conduit through which Holy Spirit may speak, that you would receive glory and honor and praise through what's said here today. And I take the authority that the Lord gives me and I cast out every evil thought, every evil stronghold that would come against this service. And I say, devil, you get on your side of the line. You have no part in this service. We are children of God, and I plead his precious blood over this service. And we give you all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory, Lord, for what happens here today. Ask for miracles, deliverances, and more. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Epitaph. My scripture for today that I want to start with is in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. And it's the 15th verse. And it says, If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Don't you wish life had an easy button? <laughs> we go through life and it, it just gets hard sometimes. And so it would just be so easy if all we had to do is go like out and like maybe earn like X amount of dollars, like $1,000. And if we just, maybe if we gave it to the right charity or the right, just the right place, that maybe all our sins would be forgiven and, and all the things we've done wrong, and we would not, not do anything but do the right thing from then on, and that all our works would follow us. It would just be such an easy button. And even after we passed on, they would say, oh, he or she just did so well with life. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be great? But it's just not the way it is, is it? It's just, just not salvation is. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, and by golly, he will. He stands at the door and knocks every day. I just love that. 
Has anybody done anything for the approval of your parents? Anything? You know? Let me ask this first. Does anybody, got, anybody have weird parents? <laughs> let, let me ask this. Are any of you weird parents? <laughs> Hands are going up. Hands are going up. It's okay. It builds character. <laughs> it's really okay. <laughs> Most of us really do de earnestly desire the approval of our parents. In fact, we'll go to great lengths to, to get it. Um, there's an example of it. Jesus gave an example of this in the temple when he was very young. Um, Joseph and Mary have gone to, uh, to the temple, and it's Passover. They've made the trek uh, to the temple to, to go to Passover like every good Hebrew would in the day. And they've gone to the temple, and they worship, and they're on their way home. Have any of you ever left, left a kid? Some hands are going. Uh, we, <laughs> we did once. We kind of did. We went on vacation with, with Sarah's sister and her husband, and we had two vehicles, and there was kids, you know, a bunch of kids. <laughs> I don't know, more than a half dozen. And <laughs> so we're in these different vehicles, and we're on our way back, and we stop at this pizza place, and you know, the kids are getting in, in and out of booths and, and everything, and we have pizza, and we realize getting late, and we're trying to, I think it was, we're trying to make Atlanta for nightfall, and so we get in the cars, we get a couple hours down the road, and we find out, oh, Anna didn't make it. <laughs> it just happens, went back, we got her, she's doing okay, she's married, got two kids, and <laughs> Yeah, it, it worked. Well, this happened to Joseph and Mary, didn't it? They left Jesus in Jerusalem. And they had to trek back to get him. Luke, the second chapter, in verses 48 and 49. And it says, So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And then he says these words that just amazes us because it's about parental approval. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? You see, Jesus was seeking parental appro approval. He was seeking his heavenly father's approval. He was 12 years old, guys. Can you imagine that? To a 12-year-old, for most 12-year-olds, the parent is everything. They make every decision. They take care of food. The parent is so important. And that's as it should be. And Jesus at this age was already seeking his heavenly father's approval. I can't imagine how Joseph and Mary felt raising the son of God. I, as a parent, that just wows me. I want to share 
another portion of scripture about parental approval. And it's in the Old Testament, and it's going to come out of Genesis. We're going to start in the 25th chapter. But Genesis 25, Isaac has just given Jacob his son. Remember Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Remember Jacob stuck his hand out first? But Esau was the firstborn. And he's instructed him to leave Canaan and travel to Padan Aram. Now, geography is important, guys. You know where Padan Aram is compared to the land of Canaan? Canaan is down there around where Israel is now. Padan Aram is up in Turkey. So it's a long journey from there to there. So he's, he's instructing him to go a long way. Listen to how, how the scripture talks about it. Genesis, the 25th chapter, verses 27, 28. So the boys grew, the twins grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. So we basically have a farm boy and a city boy. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. I have a couple thoughts about that. A way to the man's heart is what? Through his stomach. And it says, <laughs> Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. But as the ladies would tell you, just like it is in Genesis, who's running the show? She's running the show. Let's go on down. To Genesis, the 28th chapter, verses 6 through 9. And Esau has already sold, already sold his birthright. So Jacob has got his birthright, and Esau is already jealous. And here comes parental approval into the picture. Verse 6. Esau saw that Isaac dad Esau saw that dad had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Badan Aram to take him for himself a wife from there and that as he blessed him he gave him a charge saying you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and gone to Badan Aram also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael. We all remember who Ishmael is, right? Brother from a different mother. Yeah. And took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth. I probably have slaughtered those words. But to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. You see, Ishmael had already gotten a couple wives. They're Hittite wives, Canaanite wives. It's such an amazing story of human nature, isn't it? Decisions were made in his own understanding. Esau married a third wife who was one-fourth Israelite. She was one-fourth Hebrew. Ishmael married a Canaanite woman, birth Nebajoth, Yes, she was of the lineage of Abraham, but basically 
God had rejected this lineage for Jesus' lineage. He followed Jacob. Esau didn't understand this, did he? He didn't understand all that. He probably thought it was just because his Hittite wife. Here's the thing. People who get married, I, I've seen this. I've, I've been around long enough. I've been around a few years. You can probably tell. But I've been around long enough to notice that when people, a boy and a girl, get together and they kind of think each other's hot and they want to get married, and they think, we have so much in common. We have so much in common. And then about two years into marriage, they look at each other and say, who are you? Yeah. We don't have anything in common. You see, these Hittite wives, they probably, well, you know they didn't do anything like the Hebrews did. God had given directions for them. They were supposed to, they were supposed to uh, eat only clean animals. They were supposed to really kind of dress and, and worship the Lord one way and serve only one God. And these Canaanite wives, oh my gosh. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sure dad and mom, they looked those Hittite wives and they just went, oh my God. Who, anybody have any daughters-in-law <laughs> who don't kind of follow the way you used, to, you used to cooking or the way you used to do in life? It's kind of amazing. It just really is how that, that goes down, goes on today. You see, they didn't like how they believed, and they didn't like how they lived everyday lifestyle. And I believe, I believe, this is what he thought was the problem. He didn't understand it was about lineage. It was about following what God wanted. You see, you say, why is this so important? Well, how important is the bloodline of Jesus? Pretty important, isn't it? That it goes exactly according to what Scripture says. Who's our father, guys? We say, well, my dad. No, who's your father? Almighty God. Almighty God. Jesus knew that. He said, I must be about my father's business. Well, how does our Father look at us? What this is all about. Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verses 11 through 13. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation here because it really uh, kind of says how I want it to say. This is what your Heavenly Father says about you and me. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Who quotes this? I mean, this comes up in our family often. Do we lean on it? Do we please our Heavenly Father? He really has really good plans. I know the plans I have for you for a hope and a future. When our God talks about future, he talks about forever future. You know, what kind of plans are we used to making? Well, tomorrow I need to go to the grocery store, you know, 
my favorite shows on TV tomorrow. I want to catch that. And, you know, that laundry just has to get done. Our long-range plans? Well, you know, where are you going for vacation this summer? That's a long-range plan, isn't it? Or we might say this sometimes. We might say, well, one day in the future, I might do this. Well, that's not a plan. That's more of a guess than it is a plan, isn't it? God makes this kind of plans. Your descendants are going to find a cure for this disease. Because you sacrificed and did this, it's going to change the face of evangelism. I believe this. God already has plans for you for when you get to heaven, what you're going to do. He's probably going to be saying things, doing things like this. Well, Linda, I want you to greet all the people coming to heaven, and I want you to give them a tour. That's going to be your job. And, and you know what, Shannon? Maybe you're going to be a barista and serve the best coffee. I know you dread that. <laughs> Served enough coffee. Okay. <laughs> Chris probably be keeping the drum beats of heaven in worship, maybe. Who knows? We may get all new skills when we get to heaven. But he's got plans. A hope. The life blood of living. It truly is. You know, we need water and food to keep our bodies going. We need hope to keep our spirit and our soul alive. One of my favorite scriptures about hope, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, New Living Translation says, these three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. When God gives us hope, the hope he gives us, it's forever. Amazing, isn't it? This is his plan. First Thessalonians 5.8 But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. An absolute forever gift is salvation of our souls. When you got saved, that was it. You had hope for eternity from that point on in your life. You, no matter where we go, no matter what happens to us, no matter how bad the devil sweeps our feet out from under us, and he can do a good job sometimes. He can't touch your eternal soul. You have hope forever and ever. His plan, his way, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth. Have you ever stood before a judge? You know, maybe you've, I have <laughs> in my before Jesus' life, you know, I did some things that weren't so good. But have you ever stood before somebody who had real authority over your life and they were making a decision about your life? And as you stood there, how did it feel? You feel really completely helpless, unable to do anything about it as you were waiting for that decision to come down on your life. It's not a very good feeling. 
We're at their mercy. This is how we are before our Heavenly Father. That's it. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 5th chapter, 9th verse, New England Translation. For God chose to save us. He chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to, not to pour his anger out. He had every right. He had every right. He'd been just in pouring his anger out. But he chose to offer salvation through Jesus, our Savior. Wow. And when we pray, he absolutely listens to us, doesn't he? In those days when you pray, I will listen. We're in those days. We're absolutely in those days. He always answers our prayers. It may not seem like it at the time. If we ask according to his will, we have what we ask for. It may be in the future. I have a favorite verse that I quote when I don't seem to get the answer that I want. And it says, I've never seen the righteous forsaking nor his seed begging bread. Psalm 37, 25. I have never seen the righteous. Who is righteous? And every hand should, you don't, I don't want you to lift your hand, but every hand should go up. That's, if you've been saved, you're righteous. You're right with God. When you did that, it changed everything. It changed everything. It's such a precious promise to me. I relate to this so much. It's so personal in measure that the God, the maker of everything, heaven, earth, all that exists, he laughs at the wisest wisdom of man. He could completely annihilate all this in one moment of time with a single act. What a gracious gift to listen to us. I have no merit before the judge of the whole earth. I stand naked before him. It's why it's precious to me. You see, God doesn't choose to listen to me or to you because of our wisdom. He doesn't choose to listen to me or you because of our wit. And it's certainly not because of my looks. <laughs> it's only because he loves us. It's only because he loves me that he chooses to listen to us. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. And if we wholeheartedly look for him, we will find him. It's wholeheartedly. If you look for him today, right here, right now, you will find him. He promises that. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. A future and a hope. Who knows God's speaking of more than just our time on earth about a future and a hope. The greatest gift of all, of course, is salvation. It just is. And the alternative to salvation is totally incomprehensible to me. You want to read about it, get in the 13th chapter of Matthew, look down there about 41, 42, and 43. It'll show you what the alternative is. 
from the very beginning of the Bible, God's word of hope, to its end. It's all full of a future and a hope for eternity. Genesis, the 22nd chapter, verses 16 and 17, the New Living Translation says this, and this is the angel of the Lord speaking to Abraham. Now, most people believe this is a pre-incarnate seeing of Jesus. Before Jesus came, this is, you know, when they say the angel like this, it's capitalized. This is what many scholars, anyway, I just throw that out there. Verse 16, this is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, I swear by my own name, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you have obeyed me. Has this happened? Did this happen to Abraham? It absolutely has happened. And you know what? We're here today because he obeyed. And he's still, (laughs) he's in heaven, and this reward is still following him. God's speaking to Jacob in a dream. Genesis 28, 14, also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Way beyond, way beyond Jacob's life, natural life. One might say that's Old Testament. Okay, well, let's go to the New Testament. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Um, This is Jesus' promise to all. The 10th chapter, verses 41, 42. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. When is it received? Now and forever. Now and forever. So how does how is a prophet received in the name of a prophet? You ever thought about that? Hmm. It the in the name of here the word is onoma, O N O M A, and it means in the authority and character. So if you receive a prophet or a righteous man in the name of a prophet of a righteous man. You're receiving him in his authority and his character. Did you know a righteous man, which is what we are, has authority in in character? We talked about some of that during worship, didn't we? Character. We have to have character, yeah. And receives is decomai, D-E-C-H-O-M-A-I. And it means when you receive them, you take them with the hand or receive them or grant access or give ear to God's people. Amazing promise of reward. Paul wrote an epitaph, or he spoke about an epitaph on everyone's life that I'd like to read about here. And it's just the opposite of what that, do you remember what that 
atheist said, all dressed up, no place to go. And it's in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 9 through 15. And this is coming out of the New Living Translation. For we are both God's workers, Paul and us. We're both God's workers. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. He's out here working in his field, and he's working with us. And you are God's building. He's building something with us. Because, verse 10, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever's building on this foundation must be very careful. I heard Elmer Fudd, be very careful, you know. <laughs> but it's true, I'd be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. This is important. Gold, silver, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, everybody knows judgment day, right? Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if that person's work has any value. What does fire do to wood, hay, and stubble? Burns it all away. What does it do to gold and silver? It refines it. It takes away all the dross, all the impurities. Interesting, isn't it? If the work survives, he will, the builder will receive a reward. But if that work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Here you go, guys. Our epitaph is not what's written on a tombstone. Did you hear that? Our epitaph is not what's written on a tombstone. Our works follow us. I didn't write this. God wrote this down. John wrote about this in his book of Revelation. In Revelation, the 14th chapter, verses 12 and 13, the New Living Translation. Listen to this. Verse 12. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. Don't like that, do you? I don't. <laughs> Obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they are blessed indeed. For they rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. We have such precious promises in Scripture. You see, what we do in the Lord will last forever. What you're doing now. Not only that here, just while we're here. You know, it affects our children. It affects our children's children. And it affects their children. It's not so easy to see when we're going through this life. We're so close to it. 
we're going through day by day, just trying to make it from day to day. But every good work, every good deed, everything you do for the Lord, everything you do in righteousness, it's written down. Nothing's lost. Nothing. God catches your tears. He surely catches your good deeds. They're written down and they follow us. And if there's anything that's wood, hay, or stubble, it'll get burned away. We don't have to worry about it. We're f who's forgiven? You're forgiven. But your good works, God's keeping those. He's keeping you and he's keeping your good works. So as we go through this life, it's so important that we realize that we stepped over into eternity the day we accepted Jesus Christ. We're no longer, we're no longer all dressed up with no place to go. We've got the kingdom of heaven to step into. We've got the kingdom of heaven to enjoy forever. And our good works will follow us. Everybody we've touched, everybody we've spoken to with a good word. Matthew 13, 43 says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You know what it is? It's all about parental approvement, approval. Our whole life, it's hard to think that, but we spend our life in parental approval, our Heavenly Father. I, I don't want to reduce it down too small, but it is. Who wants to please their Heavenly Father? We all do. We all do. We spend our life. You get up in the morning and you start thinking about what, what's today got to hold. You get in a group of people who are a bunch of negative Nancys and you're trying to think, you know, what good thing can I say to turn this conversation around so it's not so negative? Yeah. Our God's a good God. He's got great plans. He's got for us a hope and a future called out for us. And I don't care whether you're two or 90. He's got plans. And I think all of us would love to fulfill the plans that he has for us for a hope and a future. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus. And I really am sorry for all the things that are going to burn up as wood, hay, and stubble in my life. And I repent of those things, and I lay them down. And I ask, Father, now that my works now, that I might add to my silver and the gold, that it'll all go, every bit of it, for your glory. And for every person here, Father, I pray that for them, too, that they would come into that relationship so close with you, Jesus, that they would hear what you're saying, know what you want them to do, and they'd walk in it 
starting right now. No more sidesteps. Anointed with Holy Spirit. Anointed with the Word of God. Anointed, Father, to do good works that will follow us to heaven. I bless you, Lord, and I thank you for these gracious, good people that you would go with them this week, Father. That you'd lift them up and strengthen them. That you would order their steps and that everything they'd set their hand to would prosper and bring you honor and glory. I thank you for it, Father. Now, Father, as we go forth, I ask, Lord, that you would just help us as we go to the business meeting. I pray over that food and the time together for fellowship that it would be sweet, that we glorify you. We thank you for providing the way you provide for all of us. We give you all the honor, all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I.